He is the senior pastor at the Skyview Community Church of the Nazarene in Calgary. And to many of us, he is no stranger. He is our former youth pastor here, and definitely he was my youth pastor. And so it is a privilege to have you here. He holds a special place in my heart. He is the one who saw potential in me and gave me my start to ministry. And so thank you. Welcome, Pastor Stewart. Amen. Oh, wow. I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this for the last year since Pastor Nick asked me to come. And I know some of you said to me this morning, you you look a little different. Well, I'm just going to interpret that to mean that I just look younger. I am grateful to be with you. I am looking forward to what the Lord will do and will say in this next uh, week together. I trust that you will come with receptive and open hearts to hear what the Lord has to say and be open to the wonderful way in which the Holy Spirit can minister to people from different backgrounds and different experiences and hard places and good places and yet somehow profoundly through the Word of God, He speaks to us all. The wonderful gift of God's Spirit through the proclamation of His Word. Amen. I want to just tell, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I I don't want to be presumptive this morning that all of you know me. I'm certainly not that well known. Uh, But I bring greetings from uh, my wife, Ruthann, and our three children, Lauren, uh, Luke, and Alana. Luke is 12 years old now, turning 13. Uh, He was just a wee little boy when I left here. And he said to me as I was leaving, he said, Dad, be sure to say to any of the people there who will remember me, (laughs) be sure to say hi. Uh, My wife sends her regards and her greetings and also desired to be here. But unfortunately, uh, it wasn't possible this time around. So invite me back next year. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Jonah chapter 3, verses 10, and I'm going to read through to chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. After I've read the Word word of God, I will pray, and you may be seated. I'll give you a moment to find it. Old Testament, minor prophet, uh, prophet of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, would you stand with me in hearing the Word of the Lord? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, listen to this, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at the dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant 
so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals, the word of the Lord. Father God, this morning... I pray that uh, you would take the meditations that are, has been on my mind and in only the way that your Holy Spirit can impart your truth. As I have prayed, may I be open to how you would use uh, who I am as a person, but that I may not stand in the way of that which you want to say. So I pray for a humble disposition and yet a confidence to proclaim your word. I pray that there would be no sense that this is anything but your word for your church in this season. And so, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to hear your voice, that we would not only understand, but be transformed into the very image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Jonah is a small yet provocative reading in the Old Testament, a must-tell story included in every Sunday school curriculum since I was a boy. I first heard Jonah told with flannel graph. I know I am now dating myself. For those under the age of 40, flannel graph was this little material felt like little images that you pasted on a whiteboard and you had the image of Jonah, you had the whale, and if you had a really good flannel graph set, you even had the ability to put the little image inside the fish. I remember hearing the story told by Mrs. Norkey. She was my Sunday school teacher for most of my life. Every year I got into the next age group, she traveled with me. I am so very, very grateful for Miss, Mrs. Norkey. Your Sunday school teachers, uh, they are invaluable to shaping us, to teaching us, let us not ever, ever neglect the, uh, the, the wonderful gift of ministry of teaching in the church. And this morning, I was so encouraged when I went from class to class and heard that teaching is still happening. But Mrs. Norkey was so animated. Do you think I'm going to be animated, uh, Pastor uh, Lucas? She was so animated, she'd get onto those old pews in our church, and she would tell the story with expression. And she even emerged from the belly of the fish and and kind of splattered herself over the ground as she reenacted the narrative of Jonah. For many of us who've heard the story before, we've heard it as a story about disobedience. One man's disobedience. One man's reluctance to go where God has told him to go. A great illustration and a story perhaps for convincing a congregation like yourself to not obey, disobey God's will. To be open to the God who calls us to go to places and people groups that we may not choose to go to. 
I once heard, are you still with me? Say amen. amen. You know, in my congregation back in Calgary, they, they are with me, but they say amen on the inside. I really love when people can give expression to what they're feeling inside. And I preach in relation to your disposition. So if you look sour and sad, angry or mad, I go longer. So when you say amen, you say amen, I'm, I'm going to go at it real fast, and you'll be out of here in just a few moments. Always count on Cindy to keep it real. So anyway, so uh, what is the story about? Is it about disobedience? I, I once heard a missionary say that, you know, uh, uh, talking about this going to places they didn't want to go to, she talked about her calling and she said, I prayed and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I will go ever you want me to go except Africa. Come on now. Can anything good come out of Africa? You better believe it. But I, I get the sense that when the missionary was speaking about that, she was implying that there are sometimes hard places to go where we don't want to go. Ministries we call to that are perhaps difficult. People that are hard to minister to that we choose not to go. But I want to propose this morning as we begin this revival renewal services. By the way, renewal is for the people of God. Renewal begins with us. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, I hope so-and-so gets it, that you've missed the point already. Renewal is given as a gift by this church to its members so that we would be renewed by the Spirit of God. So therefore, we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So I propose to you this morning a hearing of Jonah that is contrary to what we've all heard before. It is not simply about one man's disobedience. In fact, I want to suggest that the story of Jonah is less about Jonah and more about the heart of God. Listen to this. Of the, the heart of God of Israel for those on the outside of Israel's covenantal relationship. I propose a hearing of Jonah that shifts the emphasis from one man's disobedience to a challenge to all who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior that requires an honest consideration of our relationship to those unlike us, those whom we may fear or even possibly harbor prejudicial feelings toward. A challenge that requires what we know about the character of God we serve to inform how we respond to the changing reality of our world, a world that is growing in its diversity, a world in which matters of race and difference dominate our political, social, and religious discourse. Hence, I say to the church of God, we have an incredible opportunity to reveal the compassion of God, to reveal the God that is slow to our anger and abounding in mercy. We have a great opportunity as the community of faith to reflect this God to a world who says, where is he? Perhaps the most compelling reason I preach on Jonah is because Jesus references the story himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, I want you to hear this. He responds to Israel's religious leaders. He says, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Stay with me, it gets better. 
The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Now hear this, this is wonderful. For those of you who like, you know, reading the old and finding the new, reading the new and seeing the old, this is great, great scripture. Jesus compares Jonah's time spent in the belly of the fish with the time he would spend in the grave. Just as Jonah's ministry following his three-day and night ordeal in the fish culminates in the salvation of all the people of Nineveh, Christ's death and resurrection culminates in salvation which extends to all the world. But what captures my attention as a preacher is not the wonderful illusion between Jonah and Jesus, but it is the people that Jesus says will be at the day of judgment along him, pronouncing upon Israel their reluctance to repent. It is Jesus who says, the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah. Evil Nineveh, included and accounted for at the day of judgment because they repented and there was a gracious God who welcomed them in. It should be perplexing to us what happens in the story let me recount it for you. You are still with me? If you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> so a man of God called to go to a place decides to go in the opposite direction. While he is traveling on the ship away from where he's supposed to go, a storm arises when it comes to light that he is the cause of the storm. He is thrown overboard. In the belly of this fish, he has a bit of a Revival service. He is spewed out on a beach and travels a few days to Nineveh. And there he arrives at Nineveh and he preaches the briefest of sermons. In the Hebrew it says only five words. In our English translation it reads like this. 40 days more and Nineveh will be overturned. To which all repent including the ruler of Nineveh. I got to tell you what. Preachers listen up. Here's the model for preaching. Brief with incredible results. I thought you'd be more enthusiastic about that. <laughs> I think the prophet Jeremiah would be very, 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 very upset with Jonah. I mean, Jonah, just five words, brother. Just five words in the Hebrew and all. They, you know what the scripture says? 120,000 people, including the king, repents. Boy, wouldn't that be a wonderful result in your ministry, Pastor Lisa? If, if you just spoke five words and people were repenting and praising Jesus. I mean, I get, I, I, you, you wouldn't pay me anything for being here because you'd be like, he just spoke five words, you know? I mean, just five words, five words, and everybody repents. Jeremiah, no wonder he was a weeping prophet. He never got that result he preached and preached and preached and nobody responded but five words and everybody turns over and you know what God does he forgives that compassionate God and what does Jonah do he becomes angry Whew. it's perplexing isn't it that a prophet of God who knows the heart of God because you see, I, I pondered this story for many reasons and for many sermons that I've preached on, and I thought about it from every possible anger, and I thought, did, 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 is there another reason for Jonah's anger? I mean, he could have been concerned and, and refused to go to, jo to, to Nineveh because he knew that, that these people were a bloodthirsty people. 
I mean, if you read historical records of the Assyrians themselves, of which Nineveh was a capital city, it says that they impaled their captives. They wore amulets around their necks made from human heads. They were an idolatrous people. In Zephaniah 2.13 and Nahum 3.19, we read that the people of Nineveh are described as an arrogant and a godless people. Jonah could have been concerned that if he went there, he'd become a part of their jewelry. He could have been concerned that he would be rejected like Jeremiah. But yet we read in his own words, the reason that he refuses to go is because he knew that the God who sent him was a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who would not, would relent from sending calamity. You see, I want you to hear this. It's the very same words that God speaks to Moses following the disobedience of the nation of Israel. You see, Israel had learned to lean upon the compassion and mercy of God, a God that could have punished them, but instead extended mercy. Jonah did not want to preach the coming judgment to Nineveh because he knew that the God who is able to judge them would be quick to forgive. I ask you this morning, why is that? Why is there a disconnect between the mercy and the compassion of God that is extended to the prophet himself and yet he is not able to extend that to others? It is perplexing, isn't it, that a true knowledge of the character and nature of God does not necessarily change people. I've often asked myself, how can a person who has received this gracious mercy, mercy of God as Christians not become graciously merciful towards others? And I turn to the scripture, and this is a wonderful passage in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus tells the story of a a very wealthy, wealthy man who owned, who, who was very wealthy and was owed an inordinate amount of money by a servant. The story goes something like this, that the, 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 the servant owed him about what he couldn't, he couldn't possibly pay it back in hundreds of lifetimes. And he, he comes before this ruler and he says, oh, please just give me more time. Just, and, and, and the ruler responds with mercy and compassion. You remember the story? And, and he, doesn't only, he doesn't only give him a, a better amortization period to repay back his loan, he says, it's all forgiven. And then the story goes on, right? You remember this? Uh, he leaves, and, and the scripture actually tells it this way. He encounters somebody that owes him about three months' wages. He doesn't say anything. He just wraps his hands around his throat and has him thrown in prison. Those who observe what is happening as Jesus tells the story, brilliant storyteller Jesus, isn't he? They are offended because they, they've done the arithmetic on this. They've, they've seen that mercy was given, forgiveness was extended in profound ways to this man. And yet the moment he leaves, and the way Jesus tells the story, you, you can't but cringe a little bit. He's just been given life. He's just been given a new lease on life. He's just been forgiven that which he could never repay. And yet when he walks down the road, he wraps his hands around someone who owes him far less. And he acts as if one, as one who has not experienced mercy. Huh. You know, Jesus tells that story because Peter asked him, how many times must I forgive? 
And then Peter being smart Peter, you know his mouth is shaped like a boot, right? <laughs> Speaks before he thinks. I like Peter because I'm more Peter than I, I care to admit. And, and, and Peter does this. Peter, Peter, Peter says, okay, okay. Uh, you know, is it seven times? Now, the Jewish standard would be three times. You know, you heard me once. Forgive you. You heard me twice. You forgive me. Three times, forgive you. Fourth times, no way. You're not going to get me on that one. So Peter gets something about Jesus. He kind of realizes, oh, man, I, I should double up. So he doubles up and then some, and he gets to the holy number seven. And he says, seven times. Seven times. Seven times is how many times I've forgiven. Jesus says, no, 77 times. Depending on which translation you read, you could interpret that to mean seven times, 77 times. The point be, don't do the math, because when you're doing the math, you miss the point. The point is that forgiveness ought to be a way in which we live because we've been forgiven. Oh, church, hang on now. Hang on now. Hang on now. The church ought to be the most forgiving place. Listen, listen up, listen up, listen up. We talk about revival and renewal. You know where that begins? It begins in the relationships we have with one another in this very community of faith. If we dare have a witness in our world, it must be true of how we relate to one another. Are you counting? Are you counting? Or has the mercy of God so overwhelmed you that you know that but for the grace of God, I would not be where I am today? I was doing a, a conference in Toronto a number of years ago, and uh, I'm sorry, folks. Thank you. And as a part of the conference, I was asked to do a radio interview. I, uh, I, it was the first time for me doing a radio interview. I, I thought it's better than a television interview, I guess. And um, they had received my biography. And some of you know my story. I was, ground, I was raised in, in racially segregated South Africa during apartheid years. I grew up as a colored South African in a culture in which your value and your station of life was defined by your complexion. I know what you're thinking. He is so good looking, right? <laughs> how, could, how, could, how could anybody, how could anybody discriminate against him? <laughs> but a part of my story is not only apartheid. You know my history and my story too revolves around the tragic loss of family. Uh, my mom, uh, 47, my dad, 49. Uh, my little sister, just 11 years old, and my brother, 17, killed by a drunk driver. And in one day, they were all gone. Well, this, this radio station got my biography, and I was going to do this interview that morning, and, and uh, I was nervous about it. The person who set this all up, I said, you know, I'm not really good. I've never done radio. I, I don't like this kind of thing. Oh, you know, it will promote our event. You should really do it. So I agreed. And then that morning, there was a, a horrific shooting at one of the universities in the United States, and many people were killed. And as I went on air... The interviewer, uh, you know, was so taken aback by wh what was just breaking news, he, he turned to me and he, he, he said, uh, well, you know, you're acquainted with suffering, he says. What would you say to any of these family members affected by this, this, this real horrific accident? How, 
what words would you offer to them? How would they even get to a place of forgiveness? And then he said this to me. He says, how can you even forgive the man who walked away from that accident after drinking and driving and took four people out of your life? How could you even move to forgiving him? I was stumped. I didn't know how to respond. I wish I could stand here and preach to you and say, oh, I gave him a three-point theological sermon that rattled his world. But it just uh, opened up in me uh, so much emotion, so much feeling. I stumbled through the interview. I'm sure less people came to the conference because of it. <laughs> but it opened up within my own heart a, a hope and a desire to be the kind of person that has a depth and a capacity to love people, even those who don't love me, to forgive those who even hurt me. Listen, I'm not talking about someone who cuts you off when you're trying to get your hamburger at Wendy's. I'm not talking about someone who just interrupts your life and makes you momentarily uncomfortable. I'm, I'm talking about the capacity that Jesus has when he hangs on the cross and says, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I'm talking about the forgiveness that will ultimately change the world. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Are you still with me? I better stop because I only have so many good notes and I still got to preach seven times. So, uh, I really believe that when Jesus tells the parable of forgiveness, he is saying that the only way in which the systems of our world and the bondage that people live in will be overcome is when Christians who have looked to the cross and there in their Savior have been given mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy allow such mercy to transform them not only for their sake but for the sake of their world and become people of mercy and forgiveness. Have you ever noticed that the New Testament tells us a story of Christianity that goes something like this? It's not just about you and your faith in God. It's not just you and Jesus. It's those who know me and will be known as followers of me. They have learned to love one another as I have loved them. Let me put it to you differently. Jesus, again, in Matthew 18, says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Woof. Come on now, Jesus. Give us a softer word than that. And pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> Jesus, you're just crazy right now. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I don't hear any amens. Amen. If you love those who love you, if you love only those good old Nazarenes, if you love only people who look like you, think like you, believe what you do, if you love only those who are comfortable to love, let me, let me paraphrase for you like Peterson would. If you only love those who give something in return to you, if you only love those who are easier to love, what will 
your reward be? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And then listen to this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect here does not mean sterile, does not mean pristine. It has to do with purpose. And Jesus says, when you love in such forgiving ways, you are perfectly doing what God has made you to do. Oh, snap. You see, I, I preach to you as someone who stands under the Word along with you when I hear the heaviness of the Word of God. I, I feel it myself. I do not stand as someone who professes that in all matters of forgiveness I have become an expert, but I do know this, that the mercy that has found Stu Williams is a mercy that is not only for his sake and his eternal life, but it is that through his life others would come to experience such forgiveness and mercy. Let me ask you, why are so many people angry in the church today? Repeatedly, Jesus asked Jonah the question, why so angry? Do you know it pains the heart of God to see a church so divided in this present day? It pains the heart of God to see a church known for its anger and its vocalization of everything it condemns, and yet God calls the church to be so transformed by his mercy. It's still preaching when I stand down here, just in case you're worrying. <laughs> that here, amongst us, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, male or female, but Christ is all, and he is in all. Has the mercy of God transformed your heart? So that in the relationships you have with those who sit with you in this community of faith today, even when there is conflict, by the way, conflict exists in all churches. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang, don't, don't applaud that. You know why, right? Because we're in it. And yet God has given, you must come tonight, you must so come tonight, because I'm sitting here going, Cindy must know what I'm preaching on tonight. You must so come tonight. But God doesn't leave the church without the capacity to not only reconcile to one another, but through such reconciliation to bring glory to him. Listen, 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 listen. I love that you're clapping, but I want you to hear, right? People often naively enter and leave churches. They come in churches and what do they say? Did you see that person? Who does he think he is? I didn't like what they wear at that church. I just have you know I went to buy the shirt and tie so that I would fit in with you high dressers here today. I didn't want to be excommunicated before I started. But I'm pre-warning you. Tomorrow night, there's no tie. I'll wear a shirt and trousers, of course, but I won't have a tie. 
So people often look at the church through this rose-colored glasses. You know, if, if you were to study the 17 or 18 churches in the New Testament, none of them were at fault. None of them had a pristine history or biography. They all had challenges, but this they also had that we have. Not only the example, but the power of Christ to enable within us capacities to relate to others in ways that the world tries to but cannot. Let me frame it for you differently. I was raised in South Africa in apartheid. In the early 1990s, Nelson Mandela was released from prison and we celebrated that day. I had long protested along with friends and, and family that we would see a democratic South Africa. We celebrated the potential that we now had in a newly formed democratic society and government. When I returned to South Africa just a few years later, I was still deeply wounded to find that racism was alive. The reality is, is that you can change the laws. You can change the political system. But until the mercy of God grabs the hold of the heart of man, will you have the potential to love as Jesus loves? Mercy flows from that cross, and it is found us, so that we may be the merciful. I wonder this morning, as we begin revival together, renewal together, whether the Lord invites us to um, an honest reflection about our relationships with one another. I wonder if the Lord is laying someone on your heart this morning and saying, you know, it's good that you come to church. It's good that you praise my name. But I've called you to love as I love. I've called you to live in right relationship with one another, and sometimes that requires hard conversations. But because we love one another, we, we, we think it worthwhile going there. Hard message, but one filled with such grace. Do you, I'm going to give away my punchline for tonight's message, so I'm not going to go any further. But I wonder tonight, oh, this morning, <laughs> I'm already there. I wonder this morning if we could just let this sink in a little bit that the mercy that has forgiven and saved us is not just for our own sake. Oh, I thank Jesus for that mercy. Don't you? You see, it's easy for pastors like me to stand in front of you in our nice salmon-colored shirt. I don't even know what color it is. And, and for you to say, oh, man, look, look, like he's, he's so, he's so, he's so pristine. He's so, oh, let me tell you, let me tell you. Let me tell you, it's the grace of God that has found me. I, I, I do not boast of anything that is good in me, for it comes from him. I must be honest with you. I'm amazed at the opportunities I have to proclaim this God because I know myself so, oh, so well, so well, so well. So I stand before you as much as I can be humble and say to you, but for the grace of God, so go I. And yet I have seen the profound power of God at work when I allow grace to come not only for my sake, but for the sake of the other. Church, how are we doing? How are we doing? The Eugene Peterson, maybe I should close with his quote. Um, am I still okay for time, Pastor Lisa? Okay. 
She's the one that's keeping a finger on me in control. <laughs> Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, puts it wonderfully. And with this I close. In this way, says Jesus, they will be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect in the unique way that only Peterson can say it. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? <laughs> oh, Eugene. Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I am saying is, grow up. Your kingdom people. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. <laughs> Let us bow our heads this morning. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Father, we thank you this morning for the grace that comes to us through the cross of Christ a grace that has not only saved us but has transformed us into people who now desire to live in selfless ways for the sake of your creation, your world. I pray that even though I know for many I am a foreign voice, people are not able to in these moments to see what my day-to-day -day life is like, but I pray that somehow by your Spirit you would enable whatever barriers there may be between what is proclaimed and what is heard to be overcome by the power of your Spirit. It does not matter to you how much we possess in this world. It does not matter to you how much we have achieved. But ultimately... What matters to you is that we would be fashioned into the very nature of your son, Jesus Christ. Hard times come and they refine our faith. Challenging people exist because we are still being formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But oh God, you are able to do something tremendous through the church who have been humbled by your grace. Such grace which gives us the capacity to love, not just those who love us, but even those who are hard to love. Such grace which enables the church to be a witness in a world that is struggling with what it means to love people unlike themselves. Dear God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill your church with mercy and not anger. Fill your church with compassion and not hate. Fill your church with the ability to be patient and kind. The ability to pray for those who are living in contrary ways to your will. Fill the church with people's hearts who break for the things that your heart breaks for. Fill this church with your love. 
In Jesus' name, amen.